Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management and leadership trainings and lessons learned from leaders in the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Today I interviewed Robert McCartney. Robert is a founding director at McCartney Healthcare Associates and he's also a solicitor by background. We had a really great discussion about the advent of primary care networks, which at the moment is the the new show in town. Robert shared his approach with me on collaborative working, which is one of the key areas that general practices ask him for his support and guidance for on a regular basis. We also talked about the importance of drawing up a network or legal or partnership agreement to focus on the principles rather than to create a watertight contract, which will ultimately change over time. So Robert comes with such a wide range of experience. Um, He's headed up legal departments, IT departments. He's been involved in business development, in human resources, and is really good on the people side of things. Really big on emotional intelligence, soft skills, and is really big on understanding the contents his clients are working within. So he's not just legal and process. He's good on the people side, um, which is really important. So I really, really hope that you enjoy the interview. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And thanks for inviting me. So the aim of my podcast is to hopefully shine the light on what goes on behind the scenes from a business perspective of healthcare, and that comprises of legal, um, leadership, HR, um, operations management. So I thought you'd be a fantastic person to interview. So it'd be great if we could start with, if you could tell us all um, what you do and what are you currently working on? We are a uh, business support service and management consultancy for GPs uh, and for other healthcare professionals. We largely focus on supporting um, clinicians who wish to set up businesses or structures we originally started from kind of working at scale, largely focusing on GP practice mergers and uh, federations. We've uh, transitioned to primary care networks, and we also provide support for other um, clinicians that want to set up their own businesses to provide healthcare services. So when you say we, who is we? Uh, it's myself and uh, two employees, uh, plus uh, about three or four um, ad hoc consultants, shall we say, who I can bring on on various tasks. Um, between us, we have quite a wide range of experience. My, personally, I am a solicitor by background, um, and I can go into more detail about that later. But the rest of my team include um, Stephen Kemp, who is a significant background of uh, governance. He was a matron in A&E for many years uh, before working on urgent care, um, out-of-hour services, um, and a large amount of business development work for um, out-of-care providers, uh, sorry, out-of-hours providers. Uh, And Robert Stevenson, who is a project manager, we then have a number of other individuals who are former nurses and doctors, and uh, practice managers who bring a different level of expertise and knowledge into whatever project that we're working at the time. 
What made you choose healthcare to specialise in? Uh, my very first work experience was following the uh, various management teams in Joyce Green Hospital uh, over in Dartford in Kent. And it was fascinating. And it was interesting that I following different managers uh, rather than the actual clinicians, because I found the business of healthcare uh, to be really interesting, uh, even at that relatively young age. Um, from there, I then worked for a couple of uh, private hospitals in various roles from stocking shelves to helping with the accounts. Whilst I was at uni, I decided to specialise in law and become a lawyer. Um, it took me out of doing healthcare for a while, but I was working in the city after I qualified and I realised my heart wasn't really in it and uh, healthcare was where I wanted to focus. So I moved into community services um, with Kent Community Health when it was first formed and became their head of uh, legal services. And as it, uh, at the time, it was Eastern Kent, and then it emerged to become whole of Kent, uh, I oversaw that large chunk of the legal development of that process. And it was a eye-opener, to say the least. <laughs> um, the diversity of the work that I got involved with was, was huge. I, I thought for a long time, I was, when I first joined, that it would largely be using my litigation experience of dealing with claims and complaints and courts and that type of work. But I quickly fell into working with the HR teams, the commercial teams, helping with the directors on ad hoc queries uh, and really get involved in a wider scope of running the trust and developing the trust, especially as it is moving towards foundation trust status. After a couple of years, uh, I found an opportunity to move into primary care with a company called Maulin Health, where I worked for a number of years as their head of business operations, where I took a more broader approach, still did some legal work, but I was involved in running multiple different departments at head office, with the exception of uh, finance. But I ranged from, again, HR, business development, uh, IT, any other kind of ad hoc services that were required to support the practices. When that organization was purchased by uh, another entity, uh, shortly afterwards, I decided to set up as a consultancy because I realized that these types of skills and support aren't readily available for GPs. You normally have to pay large-scale consultancy firms. There's nothing wrong with that, but they are expensive for the small providers. Uh, or you have to go to specialists who can give you narrow areas of advice. So you go to your law firm, you go to your accountant. There's nobody who could actually pull it all together and say, okay, this is the package that you need um, to put everything together and to develop what it is you're trying to develop. So that was the starting point for me about four years ago now. Okay, cool. So when does a client know when to contact you? Most of my work, in fact, almost all of my work has come through from word of mouth. And it's through developing a good network of individuals who have used my knowledge, used my experience, it's a very small community, as we all know, uh, and it quickly spreads that actually if you've done something well for one person, they will tell others near them. So one of my first clients, uh, well, after setting up as a consultancy, was in Hearn Bay in Kent, where I set up their um, federation structure and secured for them the Integrated Care Centre, which was a contract they'd been trying to secure for a number of years, but hadn't quite been able to do so. So I developed their business case, developed the application for the uh, commissioners, uh, and managed to 
secure the actual service while setting up the federation. I then, uh, through word of mouth, they contacted, uh, introduced me to individuals in Canterbury and in South Kent Coast, where I've been working with both of them for a number of years. And in parallel, my existing contacts in West Kent, I started working with them uh, and realized the importance of um, the community of smallish scale consultants out there, where actually, if we all help each other and work together, we can find all sorts of pieces of work where we fit together a bit like a jigsaw. I just wanted to kind of stop you there, I think, so far. So when thinking about the business side and the skills that you are utilising, you've talked about communication, you've talked about um, partnerships, reaching out, word of mouth, you've talked about you've kind of supported IT, human resources, business development. It's a large portfolio of skills you have amassed over your time would you agree it is it is and it's one that needs balancing because you cannot be an expert in everything what you can do is to know where you need to bring in the expertise and therefore offer a package which says we can get you up to point x at which point you need y but from that point it should cost a lot less because you know what you need now, you bring in the experts because they're the ones who actually really know that stuff inside and out. Let's take HR as an example. I can help put together the proposals and the structures. But if it gets to a point which is um, particularly contentious or needs that extra level of uh, input, we can say, OK, let's tailor the request to the HR experts, whether or not that's a law firm or a consultancy, and get the answers that you actually need for that specific query. So what sorts of challenges when working with your general practices, what are they mostly calling you to do? So I'm mostly working on collaboration type projects because that is one of the biggest areas of challenge. Uh, GPs and practices have for many years been working in an environment where they haven't been encouraged to work together. There has been competition um, which sometimes offers benefits, but I, I think the reality of everybody now knows that that has split the system too much. And now, first with the rollout of the federations, now with primary care networks as the next evolution, there is definitely a, a need to structure these relationships better and make certain that they are fit for purpose moving forward. One of the areas that I specifically work on is the question of function over form. I am more of a form person than a function person, uh, although I do both. I personally think that it's essential you understand what it is you're doing it for. The primary care networks I'm working with who are really driving ahead quickly got the idea, the concept. They knew what they're trying to deliver as a group. They know what their ambitions are. and They can bring all their partners together including the practices who may historically have been on slightly on the outside. Many others are really struggling with that. The problem is once they get to that point, they then go, actually, we do need the form to make certain we're doing it right. And primary care networks is great because we've been pushed into form so quickly <laughs> that you need to be able to say to them, okay, I've summarized what it is you're trying to achieve. These are the structures. These are the governance systems you can put in place. These are the documentation uh, bundles you need. And this will be the pathway that you need to start following, both an immediately 
to go live through to what you're trying to achieve in the next few years. So for those primary care networks, you know, it's a hot topic at the moment. It's where, you know, a lot of people's attention is focused on. For those networks that are struggling to come together and are questioning, you know, they feel forced into it and the relationships may not be as strong. How does somebody like you bring in those soft skills rather than just say, well, you know, here's your network agreement. You need a vision. You need a common purpose for those networks that are just, they are not there. They're not in the mindset to receive that information because they're so busy and they're resistant for for a variety of reasons. How does somebody like you come in and, and kind of help them take a step back so in time they can take a step forwards? I believe the what you need to understand is what it is that's motivating them and the parties involved. It's too easy to make assumptions that it's because people just don't want to work together or there's a, a particular reason that they can't. What you really need to understand is actually what are those hurdles? It's understandable, for example, if a practice may seem really reluctant, but actually when it boils down to it, they're running at a very high patient's GP ratio due to retirements. Uh, the existing GPs are on the verge of retiring anyway, so why do they want to commit to something further? Um, or they've got existing staffing, other staffing issues. They may have some financial issues. They may have property issues. They could be a whole range of things going on at the individual practice level, which is not necessarily reflected at the negotiations and discussions going on at the network level. And if you say to people, actually, we need to start understanding what it is that's driving the motivations of everybody, then you get to a better position where you can say, okay, we can push on from here. This is where primary care networks, I believe, are significantly better um, as concepts than the federations for the networking work. It's a different question about providing and service delivery. I think that's separate. But in terms of networking, the reason why uh, I believe PCNs are more likely to result in better relationships is they're done at a far closer scale. They're done at uh, with your neighbours, with your the people that you've been working alongside, often for decades in some cases, but certainly for years. Um, and it's done at a level that's saying to people, actually, let's really be open with each other. Let's really look at how we can work together, what all of our problems are, and start sharing them, rather than taking a slightly more... Uh, what has unfortunately become a traditional approach of being quite aggressive with staffing, with finding the nursing, you know, it, it's really opening the doors. One of my former colleagues used to say that federations were great for people to come along and go, oh yes, come and have a look at my garden, but don't come inside my house. I think primary care networks are now the opportunity to say, actually, come and look inside my house and see if you can help. I like that. I really do. The conversation around primary care networks is just getting started and it is really important. I've been in network meetings and primary care meetings where they've had a solicitor come in. The primary care you know, uh, clinical director is going through this network agreement line by line and progress is being made. But the thing that keeps coming up is where it's vague or where they're not quite sure you know, let's start now knowing that they can change it in the future or that's what they believe. Is that what you believe? Is that a good approach rather than trying to have it, you know, watertight from day one? I, I agree completely. I've seen multiple uh, different draftings of the network agreements. I think where you can keep it 
slightly more variable, the better. It's different when it comes down to contracts and performance and uh, reporting requirements and finances. But when it comes down to relationship work, you need to be as flexible as you can, particularly when you're working in a very tight time frame. Um, I've seen some of these agreements which have every single clause pinned down. Um, and I think, well, that's fine, but it's going to be dated really quickly. And actually, do you as a network genuinely believe what you've written there? Because if you don't, if you think, actually, that's not going to happen in reality, then you're going to have to amend the documents. Rather than keeping the concepts and principles stated to say, this is how we intend to do things, or these are the principles we'll apply to the different options available to us. Um, if you take that approach, then you can get to a situation where you can design whatever it is you need and then change it as you go without having to change your core documentation constantly. Okay, so now thinking, I'd like to know a little bit about your approach to running your business. And I would like to know what challenges do you face in your business and how do you manage these? The single biggest challenge that I've faced is time. There is a lot of work as required over the years. It's may evolve slightly from federations or practice mergers or, or, or now PCNs. But fundamentally, there's always things happening in healthcare. There's always people that need support and therefore you need more time. The way that you have to resolve that, I, I found anyway, is uh, you are selective as to what work you take on. But the way that I've tried to do it is grow the business uh, and grow the business with a team of like-minded individuals who actually offer solutions and offer different uh, approaches to areas. So areas that I feel uh, weaker in, I bring other people in who are stronger. And do you bring that approach into your client work? So from a business development point of view, if you're working with a federation, you get all these contracts coming at you, you know, the opportunity to bid for money. Are you kind of practicing what you preach and saying to your clients, we don't need to go for all of this. We've got these are our priorities. These are the biggest income generating um, contracts. Let's park that and concentrate on X for now and then revisit that later. Can, can you have that approach with your clients? Very much so. I, I mean, the, the relationship I have with my clients, uh, especially the longer running ones, and I hope whenever I have uh, new clients, I get to this position fairly quickly, is I, I'm quite blunt with them about what it is they should be doing and what it is they need to really reconsider. I often use a particular tool that helps people to assess whether opportunities are suitable for them. And it factors in some of the soft issues as well as the hard issues as well. So the, the certainties are, is it financially viable? Can you actually provide it? Is there staff available? Is there property available? All of those types of questions. But some of the softer question is, what is the political impact of a particular service? Uh, what is the uh, media impact potentially? And of course, patient impact is an interesting one because you want to make certain services do have a positive impact. That's why we all we do what we do fundamentally. Um, but sometimes when you really dig down into it, you start looking at it's not as clear cut as it may otherwise seem. So, for example, I was looking at a service uh, a few years back, which on the face of it offered a lot of benefits to patients. 
But then when you looked at where the resources were coming from, you realized you were robbing Peter to pay Paul in terms of the staff. And so we actually went back to the commission and said, actually, we need to consider how we can uh, implement this without reducing this other service. And so sometimes they've picked up on it and they've got solutions. And sometimes it's, oh, actually, you're right. That's an area that just in how busy everything is, it's slipped by. So it's, it's, it's very interesting as to um, how you apply that. But you've got to have that open relationship. You've got to have quite a blunt relationship um, at times. With your clients and your team? Oh, with, with both, with, without doubt. Um, and it helps to some extent going in as um, somebody with a legal history and with a history of direct provision of services. Because when I, particularly when I'm speaking with uh, doctors or with um, senior uh, individuals, they know that I come with a level of expertise. It's quite hard if you don't have that history behind you to sometimes be heard. But once you've got it and people understand it, then you make your position clear. <laughs> so what are you enjoying most about your work at the moment? Two things that jump to mind. The first is uh, growing the team. It's just a step that I've been waiting for for a long time. We've opened our, our first uh, decent size office, which is really uh, a big step. Congratulations. It's, yeah, it is a big step. Thank you. <laughs> it's great. So from the business side, that, that it's great to see that my own business is growing well. The other side is the businesses um, who I'm working with who are now again themselves developing very well um groups such as um the gps in canterbury have great plans great visions um they've been able to unite the primary care networks with their visions for urgent care for proactive long-term condition management uh, and utilize the resources that are available to them from federations to actually give a vision that you don't see in many places or you, you you see but it's not always being delivered and being involved in those types of projects and seeing how they're growing and developing is great it's, it's kind of why you do what you do really so we're on a podcast do you listen to podcasts in general that you could recommend obviously we all listen to the general practice podcast but are there are there, are there any other podcasts that have been helpful to you I often look up random topics um, and see what's on there. And I try and look in different sectors as well. So I've been listening to the series of podcasts by the Recruitment Confederation on um, business growth and um, vision, which is aimed at startups in that particular sector. Um, And it's just quite interesting to see how different people have approached it. Um, Also been looking at... um, slightly more kind of theoretical ones so some of the like Seth Godin's podcast on the accelerated MBA off but most of my time when I'm in the car I try to listen to comedy or 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 you know some plays or something that gets allows me to switch my mind off yeah it's important so my last question I'd like to ask is when thinking about the business of healthcare if you could share one lesson that you have learned either about your own business or about just your clients in general what would that be the most important one is understanding the pressures that your clients are facing which isn't necessarily anything to do with what you're there for so gps are the majority of my clients 
and they normally ask me to help with federations and collaborative working. But I even have to understand that whilst they're doing that piece of work and I'm supporting them on it, they're also normally running their own practice, seeing their patients, and then have standard everyday issues that we all have with family and life and time. Um, that's a huge amount of pressure and responsibility. And actually, I need to understand that to know how I can take as much of it off them as I can so that I can deliver the outcomes that they're after and so that I can actually talk the same language as them. I've been working in primary care now for the best part of eight years, I think. And so you get used to it. But you do have to be mindful because it's a very different world when they have the patients in front of them from when they're trying to work uh, uh, on the commercial level. Thank you so much, um, Robert. It's been really, really interesting, really helpful. And hopefully I can't wait. Yeah, can't wait to have you back. Great. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's really good. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Once we'd stopped recording, me and Robert continued to talk. And I was like, oh, that should have been in the podcast. Um, I need to get him back. He's got such a breadth of experience and is such a nice person. I will leave the details of McCartney Healthcare Associates in the details of this podcast. Um, But he's on social media as well, Robert McCartney. And I will see you on the next episode. (laughs) 